want to continue to highlight folks who uh, have been invited into church, been invited into a deeper walk with Christ, um, and give them an opportunity to thank those who made that invitation. So let's welcome uh, Paula Brooks, who would like to uh, share her thank you for inviting me story this morning. Let's welcome Paula. Good morning. I was going to kind of look and see if any of my people are here. Hi, Heather. Um, hi, Brian. Heather and Brian. Yeah. Heather and Brian, come on up. Come on up. You didn't know that was you were getting into this too, did you? <laughs> Is Carrie with you? No. Okay. All right. These are two of my my friends. Is Is Monica Ward here? No. No, Monica. Okay. I know, right? Monica's always here. I know. Okay, well, I'm Paula Brooks, and um, in March 2015, Charles and I, my husband Charles, uh, we came to Lakeland after leaving our church of 25 years. It was a difficult time for us, and and mostly we were just looking for some healing. Um, We had heard Garrett speak at our youngest daughter's baccalaureate from high school, And um, that was kind of our connection to maybe try out Lakeland. Um, And I remember Dan and Garrett both saying that it would take a year or more to begin to make friends, but that we would have to make the effort first. So that's pretty easy for Charles, Um, not so easy for me. He kind of knows how to work a room, and I'm pretty shy. So we loved the music here, and we were learning so much from the teaching that we uh, really wanted to make Lakeland our home. So the next time that small group uh, sign-ups were offered, we decided to give it a go. We were looking for a couple small group, so we chose a new group that was forming called The Gathering. From the very first meeting, we felt loved and accepted. Randy and Mary Boltman, Brian and Carrie Bubalo, and Fred and Kim Shirk, even though they've moved far away, um, are our tribe. And they, they are honest, transparent, and hospitable And we are so blessed to get to do life with them. And I'll put a little plug in. Uh, We share dinner once a week. If you're you're interested in a small group, we'd love to have you. Um, Since joining our small group, Charles and I have both ventured out a little further. He joined the men's discipleship breakfast group. And I know he looks forward to his time with them. And I joined the Rhythm of Solitude women's group with um, the encouragement of my friend Monica Ward. Spending time on retreat with these women is teaching me how to open myself to the love and presence of God. I would be remiss if I didn't say a special thank you to my travel buddies, Charlene, Heather, and Rachel. They may never drive with me again. I love you girls so much. With the love and support of all of these people, Charles and I can truly say that we are home. Thank you for inviting us. Brian and Carrie and Heather, thank you for for making uh, making that invitation. So, who is uh, God putting on your radar this year that needs this life abundant that Christ offers us? Who could you invite? Are you in a small group? Could you make an open space for someone? Do you want to have Charles and Heather's story? Perhaps you want to join a small group. Small group sign ups start next week. 
Amen. So it is a new year and time to begin again to share the good news of Christ Jesus. Pastor Dan is here this morning and he's going to begin us in prayer. So I'll turn us over to him. Thank you, Garrett. Good morning. Stand with me, please, as we confess our sins against God and our neighbor. Join me. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Now, stop right there. Because what you're doing right this moment, along with me, is we're just reciting empty words because we know we're supposed to, and it's a church, and this is a confession prayer. Let's just stop and figure out what we're actually confessing here. First and foremost, this past year, the thing you do on December 31st is confession. You ask God for forgiveness for the past year. Why? Because we thought we could do all of this by our own strength. We thought we could live life. We thought we could be God. We thought we could determine our own well-being. And we did it all once again. We forgot to honor God. We forgot to love our neighbor. We forgot to be Jesus. We tried, but we failed, didn't we? And so now we're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get our gumption together and try and do it in 2018 with no plan, just a bunch of willpower. And somehow we think that politics is going to save us, that education is going to save us, that technology is going to save us. Somehow... We are going to magically fix the world in our lives. And that's why we confess. Because the only thing that's going to fix us is the cross of Jesus Christ. Evil will continue in 2018. But Christianity is the only thing on the planet. No other philosophy, no other religion has an answer for evil. Past, present, and future. All will be remade. This also is our confession. This is also our absolution after confession. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you for all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. It will all be remade. You will be remade. And that is why we hope at the end of confession. 2018 will be a God year if we take ourselves to the feet of Jesus. Now, let us begin again our confession. Together, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry. We humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. And we all said, Amen. Let's worship. Good morning again, everyone. 
Uh, it is my pleasure to introduce, for those of you who don't already know, Taylor Qualls. Taylor Qualls, he is the director of our, The River, which is our ministry for young adults here at Lakeland. He pastors the community of folks who are in their late, tween, late teens. <laughs> Late tweens, there we go. Late teens and twenties. And uh, this morning, he is coming to share the Word of God with us. So, let's welcome Taylor. Hey, everyone. Um, So, as many of you know, uh, Garrett just got done with a series um, called Finding Jesus in the Old Testament. That's been going on for a while. Um, so I am here to uh, begin the series, Finding in G- Jesus in Passages That Have Scared the Crud Out of You and Deeply Confused Taylor for Most of His Life. Um, I went back and forth on the title of whether it was going to be you or Taylor, because I felt like if it was you, then I'm roping all you into it. Maybe you weren't just, you know, freaked out by this passage. But if I put my own name in it, in my title, that seems egotistical. So I'm honestly, the jury's out on the title, but the important part is this is a series that uh, will begin and end today, and, uh, and, you know, let's just dive into the passage. Uh, so if we can get that up on the screens, we're in Matthew 19. Just then, a man came to, up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I've kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, This is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So I don't know about you, but I have read that passage and I've been firmly with the disciples. I'm like, who then can be, what? Like, that is, it feels like an impossibly high standard to uh, escape hell and enter heaven. To say, like, only the people who give everything that they have can, can do, can find eternal life, like, uh, that scared the crap out of me. Um, and, you know, but I found some consolation in being able to say, well, I mean, I look around and none of you are doing that. Um, so, uh, we're all in this together, right? Like, either we all burn or we're all fine. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of conflict around this verse, um, around this passage, around this story. of. Uh... So I want to dive straight in to how God has worked on my heart and moved me on this passage. But uh, in order to do that, there's a little bit of work I have to do. I have to explain some of the things that... Uh, 
I learned that helped me to get there. So bear with me for like five minutes while I tell you about some words and boring stuff like that. And then uh, we'll get into some stories. So uh, it's really important to understand. Uh, so this guy, uh, we're going to call him Kevin because I don't want to just keep saying like rich young guy or whatever. So Kevin, he uh, comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? Um, I always thought, and I imagine probably most of us all, always were, were under the impression that eternal life meant getting out of hell and getting into heaven, escaping death, living forever, right? Um, that idea is uh, a little off, I figured out. Um, see, Jesus says things, Jesus talks about eternal life a, a pretty decent amount, but he says things like this, uh, I've come to bring you eternal life that never ends. Um, that doesn't make very much sense if we're talking about just escaping death and living forever. I've come to bring you never-ending life that never ends. Um, but I'm going to spare you all the nice linguistic details. And if you want to come nerd out with me about that, I'd be more than happy afterwards. We can talk details about why it, why it is this way. But, but whenever we really look at the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus and how he uses this word eternal, um, what he's talking about, is a kind of life, a quality of life, a life that is from the very being, the very person of God, the kind of life that whenever Christ returns and uh, makes all things right and all things new, that kind of life, full, rich, meaningful, the good stuff kind of life, that, that's what eternal life is. So, second important thing is Jesus tells this guy, if you want to be perfect, then sell everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. And that can be another really confusing thing because we hear perfect and we think uh, morally flawless, right? Like, I'm not doing the sinning thing anymore. Um, but that's also not what the New Testament usually means when it's referring to the idea of being perfect. Uh, otherwise, it'd be really weird whenever uh, the, uh, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews says uh, that Christ was made perfect by his sufferings. Um, I don't think it's saying that Jesus was made morally spotless by his sufferings. But this idea is found all over the New Testament of maturity, completeness, wholeness. Christ was made complete and whole and mature by his sufferings, which is already in and of itself an interesting idea worth talking about. But Jesus says to this guy, to Kevin, if you want to be complete, if you want to be whole, if you want to be mature, sell everything you have, give to the poor, come follow me. The third and last thing is that Jesus wasn't, Jesus didn't go around talking to people and going like, what would make a really great Bible verse quote? What could I say that would be passed down for all time and it would, be, it would have a nice ring to it? It's not what he's getting at here. He's talking to a person in a place at a time. He's not talking to you right here. He's talking to Kevin. And Kevin is Jewish. So, of course, you know, whenever, whenever you have this idea of 
What's eternal life? Life is full, meaningful, good. That's eternal life. So he says, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Follow the law. Of course, Kevin's Jewish. That's Jesus is Jewish. He's going to give a Jewish answer. And then he's like, I've kept all these things. And he's like, cool. Well, how about now this? This will really get you into life. So all this, I, I, I do all of this reading and understanding. I, I've learned all these little bits. And, and then one day I was having a conversation with Dan. And Dan said, you know what, Taylor, you obsess over this stuff way too much. You try and control it way too much. You need to take a break. So that's what I did for like a year. And uh, a year later, uh, I came back to this passage when I was doing Lectio Divina with my community. And if you're not familiar with that, it's a, a prayer, and, uh, prayer and scripture reading um, thing. And uh, so we're reading it. And I read it with New Year's. And, and I'm going to read you the same passage, but in a different translation that I think captures what's going on here a little bit better. It, it might. So, someone asked him, Teacher, what good thing can I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus answered. There is one who is good. But if you really want life, keep the commandments. Which ones, they asked. Jesus said, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not tell lies about people. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor the same way you love yourself. I've kept all these commandments. What's left to do? The young man exclaimed. Jesus answered, if you want to be complete, go and sell your belongings and give them to the financially poor, and you will have a money bank in the heavenly places. Then come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad as he had a lot of possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, For a fact, it is hard for a rich person to enter heaven's realm. Let me emphasize this. Pigs might fly before a rich person enters heaven's realm. When his disciples heard this, they were beside themselves themselves with terrible shock, which I think is a little better, got what I was feeling, and exclaimed, Well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked straight at them and said, It's impossible with people, but with God, everything is possible. I heard with fresh ears. I listened. And I didn't hear Jesus trying to find a way to get me into hell. I heard Jesus saying to this young man, You have this thing your riches, you think that they're going to make you happy. They think, you think that they're going to bring you life. They think, you think they're going to make you fulfilled. But they're actually the thing that's standing between you and life. They're actually sucking your joy away. They're actually sucking your life away. I have life, and I can give it to you. I want to. Here you go, but I can't force it on you. You can't buy into the idea that your riches are going to make you ultimately fulfilled and accept my life. It's just not going to work. And I read that and I go, whew, I don't do that. That's good. Um, I, I don't think that my money is going to uh, make me ultimately happy. I'm a college student. How could I think that? Um, <laughs> but I realized that I do. That I do that exact same thing. It's just, it looks different for me. So for me, 
I, somewhere along the lines, got the idea into my head that if everyone liked me and loved me and thought really well of me, then life would be perfect and life would be everything I needed it to be. So I, what I do is I go around and I, I love people very, very intensely. I'll put my life on hold for you. I'll take care of you. If, I'll do whatever you need. And then you have to love me back. You're obligated now, right? So I'll be fine. I'm good. I'm fine. Uh, because, because everyone will love me because I've loved them so well. And let's be honest, that's manipulation, right? That's not love. Because um, I'm just doing it to get you to love me. And you know what it does? When I do that, I never get to accept the love that anyone is going to give me in return. Because what I'm doing, I'm going around and I'm saying, okay, I loved you this much, like maybe an 8 on a 10 scale. And you had this crisis in your life and I put all of my life on hold and I did all these things for you. And then you go, thank you so much. That means so much to me. And I go, really? Really? That's it? That's, that's all that you've got for me. I just, I just loved you at an eight and you returned it at a three. And uh, then I look at other people and I go, wow, I'm putting so much effort into this relationship and look how much effort they're putting into their relationship with that person and they seem like they're giving them more love. And I get bitter and I get angry and I, I get real judgy against people because um, no one loves me as well as I love them. No one can return it. And I don't get to receive any love at all. Um, you know, my wife comes home from work and she's had a tiring day and she doesn't have too much to give today. And I get real whiny. Um, but Jesus says, you have this thing. You have this thing that you think is going to give you life. It's not. Let go of it. And I'll give you life. Stop buying into the idea that everyone, you manipulating everyone into loving you will make you happy and fulfilled and give you meaningful life. Because look, it's clearly not. So I could share my story. With, well, I did. I shared my story with you. But uh, I, I say I hope it resonates with, but I hope it resonates with none of you, honestly. That'd be ideal. But... Um, uh, but it does, probably. But there are some of you who it doesn't. So I am going to bring a couple of my friends up to share their stories and their struggles and the way that Jesus has interacted with them in, in this way. So uh, welcome, Sarah Medley. Hello. Um, so this is a little bit of my story and a little bit about what I hold on to instead of Christ. So fear is my best friend. Well, Taylor and Ashley Qualls are really collectively my best friend. But um, I, fear takes this number one place in my life so often because at a young age, I sensed this basic lack of predictability in life. And as kids do, I quickly discovered a remedy for it. And I found that fear and control are the perfect antidote for unpredictability. Because fear allows you to control and manipulate any and all variables in life until it becomes this experiment or machine that just pops out the result that you want. Because that's what we want, right? We 
we want to know what's going to happen, and we want what we want when we want it. So my ultimate vehicle for fear and remedy for insecurity and loneliness, I decided, would be relationship. Because what's more biblical than that, right? Friendship, love, relationship. And then friends liking me and me, me giving them something and them liking me means that I'm likable and that I'm good and I'm okay at life. And then having a boyfriend, well, that's just like means that I'm top notch. I'm just the greatest. And so I've spent my life believing that if I can manipulate myself into relationships, success, a great job, lots of money, all these things, then that's how I'll be happy and safe. But it turns out that having amazing friendships doesn't mean that you aren't afraid that they're going to leave. Having a degree doesn't guarantee you an amazing job and lots of money, and being hilarious with great hair doesn't mean that you're going to be married after college. <laughs> so I found myself clinging to my friendships for dear life and just feeling this intense need to be needed. And I found myself in relationships that I thought would make me happy, but ultimately were toxic and made me feel more worthless than I ever had before. And I found myself being anxious and in what turned out to be an unpredictable place, scared that my friends didn't like me, scared that I'd be alone forever, and scared that I'm a failure in the eyes of everyone around me. And I kept asking myself, how in the living heck did I get here? I've been a kind person. I've been a good friend. I've done all these things. I went to college. I, you know, all of this stuff. So why am I still so anxious and why do I still feel like a failure? I had worked so hard to fine-tune all of these variables in life and was still found myself feeling sad and stuck just waiting for life to begin. That's the first part. I promise it gets happier. This is Jake Carlson. Hello everyone, my name is Jake. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, I was homeschooled, so this is kind of a first for me talking in front of a bunch of people, so bear with me. <laughs> um, when, I was, uh, when I was about 16, that was about actually when I graduated, um, being homeschooled, we were able to do a little bit more work and get through some stuff um, a little quicker. Um, and so I had started working um, really early. Um, so as I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do, um, I was start starting, um, some mowing jobs and I worked with uh, my dad a little bit and worked for another company, um, in that time. And, um, someone that I really respect, um, who had a business and who was, um, in my view, very successful, um, kind of said to me, you know, or he was kind of asking me, um, you know, what are your plans? What are you, what are you planning on doing with, you know, your... Um, career and stuff, and I kind of told him, and to that, he kind of replied to me, like, you know, oh, well, you think you want to do, like, mowing? Like, that's not going to be very, you know, profitable or successful. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that fail at it, and um, so unfortunately, I took that as a little bit of a driving, um, 
Oh, what's that? I can't think of exactly the right word, but that was kind of what drove me to prove him wrong. <laughs> um, so that wasn't probably a healthy way to go about it, and that wasn't my only drive, um, but that was definitely part of it. Um, so my my thing was that I thought if I could be successful and be you know get to this high, higher level of status, then people are going to respect me. They're going to view me um, as someone to look up to or as someone... Um, that they hold a little bit higher, and you know, and then that'll be fulfilling for me. That's going to be, you know, my. And, and I didn't say those words, but it was more of a subconscious thing that I tricked myself into believing that that that's where I was going to be. Um, that's how I was going to be accepted by people and loved by people. Um, and I put some goals for myself um, that were. I put them out honestly at a t- at a time in my life. I was like by. 22, I want to make X amount of dollars and be here with my business. And honestly, I exceeded those goals and was still left like I felt like I came up short. And so then I, I put new goals and sometimes still do. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my first part of, of my story. You've got this thing. You're holding it so tight because it gives you life. Because it's what life is about. Because it's what's going to make you happy. But it's killing you. It's not going to work. It never was going to work. Let go of it. I can give you life, but not unless you let go. Not unless you believe that I can give you life. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you notice that in all of these stories, we kind of buy this idea that life is going to work a certain way and that it can, we can make it work out um, until it doesn't. You know, until you achieve your business goals before you actually were planning on doing it and you go, crap, I still feel super unfulfilled until you find the friends that you've always wanted to have and you're crap they could still leave until you find yourself liked by everyone around you but you go i'm kind of a horrible person on the inside aren't i and i really have to work hard to maintain this i i like to think that this is what happened with kevin from our text here that that he went on, you know, he left this uh, encounter with Jesus and he goes, uh, that's totally stupid, but, uh, but, it, but it stays there in the back of his head. And he goes on and someday he loses like 80% of everything he's made. And then he goes, I've worked way too hard to, to lose it all now. So, so he pulls himself up by his bootstraps and he gets it all back and he gets twice as much. And then he goes, oh crap, I don't think this was worth it. I still find myself needing to prove myself to everyone around me. And then there was that thought that ran around in the back of his mind that that teacher said that one time. If you want to find life, let go of this thing. Let go of your money. Let go of your status. Because it, it's nothing. 
And, and Jesus goes on to say that this is impossible. It's impossible for uh, a wealthy person. It's impossible for a person who's liked by most people around them. It's impossible for someone who's been immensely successful to enter the kingdom of heaven. But with God, it's possible. And, and, and here is why I, I've become convinced of this, that the reason for that is because of the infinite grace and love and mercy of God. Um, because if God is not trustworthy, if God can't hold the worst parts of us, then it's not safe to let ourselves look at, at this stuff. We have to hold it back in a corner and keep it hidden and make sure it just never surfaces and, and then we'll be fine. Like, right, we're good, God. You and me, as long as that stays over there. But if God is safe enough for us to trust, if he's good and if he loves us and if he cares for us and if he can hold the worst parts of us, we can look at ourselves in the mirror and we can go, oh, that's me. That's the thing I was doing. But we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid that now that we've seen it, that God is going to be like, hold it against us and be angry, that he's going to condemn us. Um, when we can stare ourselves in the mirror, knowing that we're loved and knowing that we're accepted, then God begins to heal us because we'll let him. So when I can, can look in the mirror and look at myself and realize, oh man, I manipulate people, don't I? I go, this isn't working. Maybe I ought to trust Jesus. Maybe I should take him up on it and try it. Try just accepting that I'm loved by him and, and that I'm okay and I don't need to be loved by everyone to be okay. And, uh, and I find myself starting to love people, like genuinely not manipulating them, but actually loving them. And here's the crazy thing that happens. The thing that I wanted so much to be loved by people, I can let, that happens now. Because uh, whenever I go and I say, hey, I'm going to set my life on hold because I want to love you. And then they say, thank you so much. That meant the world to me. I don't have to judge it. I don't have to see if it was enough love returned to me because I can just go, thank you. And I can receive it as a gift, not as an obligation because I don't need it anymore. I don't have to have it. It's not basic for my survival. I'm not, I'm okay. And then I can receive love from all the people around me and I get the thing that I always wanted because Jesus set me free from all the stuff that I was holding on to. And I'm not saying I do that perfectly. I'm still not always great at it. But I get glimpses. So I want to uh, ask Sarah and Jake to come back up here and just kind of share the way that God's been working on their hearts in this. Okay. So as I said, I found myself crippled by this anxiety and fear and a lot of anger about my life. 
and realized that the fear that had protected me, protected me my entire life had turned its back on me. And I think there's this huge paradox in life that, we tr- that when we try so desperately to prevent something from happening, we often end up causing it. Like, like Anakin in Revenge of the Sith, he is trying so hard, all he wants is for Padme to live, and he's trying to prevent her death, and turns to the dark side and ends up ultimately causing it. Hopefully that wasn't a spoiler for anybody. <laughs> but, you know, something bad had to happen to him. I mean, he's Darth Vader, so. And this whole time, you're, you're thinking, you dummy, you're making this happen. Like, literally just stop. And then I, I just kind of, like, thought we, we do things like this all the time. We turn for answers to the exact thing causing our destruction, to the exact thing that is killing us. And so all of this to say that fear, fear is the thing that I have been grasping and has proven itself to be unstable and untrustworthy. And I felt God saying to me, if you could just let this go, there would be more life. If you could just let go of fear, let go of the attempt to control how your life turns out, it would turn out better and be more full. And I found this to be true and this is, this is, of course, something I still struggle with, like kind of like Taylor said a second ago, but I, I can recognize it as a temptation to trust fear when that comes up. And I can look it in the face and call, call it by its name, and it lessens the power that it has in my life because I see it for what it is, that fear is a liar and Jesus is where truth and life are found. And I also discovered that with all of this fear in my life, the anticipation of something happening, the fear of the thing, it was much, much worse than feeling it. In this sense, that I let myself think, okay, what if my friends never talk to me again? What if my friends leave me? What if I am single for the rest of my life? What if something crazy, like all of these things. And I found that the pain of that, I let it like come and wash over me and it washed away even more quickly. And then I found myself with this fresh ability to think and see things clearly. That one, if those things happen, I'll be okay. I can survive. I have Christ. But secondly, that it doesn't mean something about me. It doesn't mean that I'm not good enough or that life has just fallen apart. And once I can do that and let it wash over me and look past myself, drop those drop the fear that I cling to, and I can pick up the love and encouragement of Christ, and I am free to give that to others. So when I'm not worried that people don't like me, I become a better friend, and I fiercely love people, and when I'm not afraid that I'll be alone forever, I become more confident. When I'm not afraid God is out to get me, life is more full, and I am open to his blessings and good things, and I truly experience the life that he has for me to the full. I'm happier, more positive, I'm a less anxious person, and more present with the people that I care about when I can just let go of this fear. So, thank you. So for me, um, when I was holding on to this idea of 
being successful or being held um, in people's eyes as um, someone they should respect. Um, it took a lot of time and energy to make myself what I thought I needed to be. Um, it took it put a lot of it puts a lot of stress on me. Um, still does sometimes, um, and that stress obviously, as I'm sure all of you know, doesn't always. Um, it makes you not a fun person to be around sometimes, or a lot of the times. Um, and I've found that it makes it hard to have deeper relationships with people when that's what I put my time and energy into. When I let go of it, um, I'm, I'm definitely able to love people more. I'm able to um, pour into their lives more, and I'm able to look at myself and realize that um, I'm enough um, in God. Um, I'm worth something in his eyes, and it doesn't matter how I view myself or how others do, and it ultimately only matters that he views me that way. Um, honestly, after first service, I realized that when I came up here the first time, um, I was up here worried and um, thinking, what are all you, what are the people in here viewing me as? Um, you know, what, what are they thinking of me, you know, and those are just insecurities in me that even right now I realize that, you know, I haven't perfected it, um, but it's something I think when I, when I realize it and I'm aware of it, I can work on it um, and be a better person. Um, so, yeah, that's where, where I'm at now. Jesus looks each one of us straight in the eye, and he says... This thing you're holding on to, it's killing you. Let go of it and let me give you life. You don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to be afraid. Hold eye contact with me. You don't need to look away. It's okay. You can trust me. I'm safe enough for you to trust. And when we hold that eye contact when we can keep looking straight back at him. He heals us. And he gives us life. So don't look away. Jesus, give us the courage to trust you and to believe that you really actually want the best for us that you want life for us. We choose to trust you. You're good, and we love you. Amen. I have never been more excited about our young adults community here at Lakeland. I'm just astonished that those are the types of lessons being taught, the scriptures being wrestled with. Uh, I, I said in first service, if I had had all that figured out at 24, I would have more hair today. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you, Taylor and friends from the river. Thank you for following God and sharing your story. And... Um, I'm just so grateful. What a mighty God we serve who is continuing to share truth, 
with generation after generation. Amen. Well, let us stand together for the benediction. Beth, have I forgotten anything? Oh, yeah, next week we're going to begin our new series, Finding Financial Freedom, right? We had a great time Christmas, and now the credit card bill is on its way to your house and mine. So uh, let's see if we can't find some biblical principles to set us free and uh, maybe, maybe do something different in the new year. Amen? Amen. So we will hear stories of what God has done, and we will, we will grab on to his promises and his wisdom for ourselves together in the new year, starting next week. So the benediction is a good word. It's a blessing. So I kind of hold my hands out. It's symbolic of the blessing, you know, going out. If you want, you don't have to. But if you like, you can hold your hands open as a sign of receiving God's blessing. And this one we like to say all together as we bless one another. So may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace and Happy New Year.